0: On this episode of Sessions, we chat with Vicki Simmons of Mean Mail, the greeting card company that makes cards for those you love and those you hate. Listen in as she chats her growth as an art director, how she's going against the greeting card norms, and her five aspects to getting a brand noticed. Welcome to Sessions by Matt Black, a podcast by and for the creative class focused on digging into the things that make brands and campaigns go from good to great. I'm Chelsea Matthews. I am the founder and creative director of Matt Black, and I am excited to be talking to Vicki Simmons, who is across the pond all the way in London. Uh, she's the founder and creative director of Mail, which you're going to get the pleasure of learning all about. Vicki, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So in True Sessions attire, we always like to start with some quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. First up being, what is the last book you read?
1: Um, the last one I finished which was super quick was A Feminist Manifesto and 15 Suggestions by Chimamanda. Um, it's just like a pocket-sized book and it's awesome cuz it just goes right to the heart of like Sexual politics and how basically it's almost like a great manual for all new parents and people in general.
0: That's amazing. I'm gonna immediately Google that after this recording. And then, what is your victory song?
1: Oh, um, I always go back to MIA's "Trap XR2." It's more of a party song, but I love it. So
0: good. It's so good. And then what is something you'd like to check off of your bucket list?
1: I think it would be living in LA one day.
0: Yes, come. (laughs) (laughs) We'd welcome you with open arms. Uh, Well, that's awesome. Um, So I obviously have to start by just digging into your background. Um, you know, you have recently launched a company called Mail, which we'll learn more about in a minute. But I'd love to kind of hear about your career path and then what's brought you to where you are today.
1: Right. Okay. So I've always been involved with um, the creative side of things. I loved art at school and I studied design at university. I went to University of the Arts and graduated in 2008. Straight out of there, I went and interned in New York, which was super fun. It's such a great city to be in and work in. Um, And then I've kind of spent the last eight, nine years working in advertising agencies as a creative and art director, but also sometimes as a copywriter. Um, When I was, I worked at Brooklyn Brothers, um, that was probably my first proper job. And whilst I was there, I started directing music videos on the side, I kind of had spare time. So I was kind of I said to them, Hey, do you mind if I start doing this? So that led to a lot of fun projects, I treated on quite a lot. And it's always kind of hit and miss whether you're going to get them or not. But it was such a nice process doing that I ended up shooting one of them actually, in the agency at the weekend, I just said, Hey, can I film this? And they're like, okay, I don't think they really knew what I was up to, but I ended up filling the agency with about 5,000 balloons for this music video. And it was really good. Um, after there I went and done quite a bit of freelance and worked at, um, Kessel Kramer's London office, KK outlet. And then I went, I got contacted about working at, uh, Apple's ad agency, which is media arts lab. It was out of their London office. Um, it was really random because it happened through LinkedIn and it was really strange. Um, but that was amazing. I was stayed with them for four and a half years. We did quite a lot of work in LA, which was really fun. Um, I almost kind of say it was like a bit of a master's in art direction because they, um, they're so precise with everything they do and they think so much about it. I think it's so great to have got that experience and really learned, just seeing seeing a brand from that side of things
0: yeah totally and what would you say not to kind of you know cut off the trajectory I know we're we're still working through it but what would you say are some of those kind of takeaways from a from an art direction standpoint in terms of you know maybe where you choose to to slow down or the areas that you really kind of hone in and pay close attention to
1: I think the biggest thing I got from it was the attention to detail. It's so, so important because things that you think totally are are not noticed, there's always some person who's going to pick up on that. I remember there was um, in Cher's music video, I think the Do You Believe in Life After Love? And she's singing in this kind of, I don't know, space tube or something. And one of her nails is missing on one of her fingers. <laughs> like, I don't know, she's got these really cool pulse extensions on. And every time I watch that video, I'm so drawn to that. I'm like, oh my God, I keep spotting it. Like I thought, I was like, what is that? So it's something yeah. that sometimes people notice and then you're like, oh goodness. But um, in that sense, it really helps. It's really helped to look at art direction in that sense and understand why you shouldn't just, you know, use anybody's hands to be using the product ad, how everything makes a difference and how everything is important.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that is, um, it's such an interesting skill set and art direction in general. I, I think it, it can be interpreted in a lot of different mediums, but um, it's its always fascinating to me to kind of watch like the the process of various art directors and Um, the level of kind of attention to detail they give to various components. So I couldn't help but kind of, you know, interject and ask you that question. But okay, so you're, you're, you're working with Media Arts Lab, you're working on, you know, really incredible campaigns for Apple, then what?
1: Well, as with everything, I think even if you're working for a brand that you really enjoy and you're a big advocate of the product, it's important to change it up. And I was there four and a half years. I felt like I needed a change. So I went and, um, went for a job at a much smaller agency, a much more fashion based agency. And it was a more, a more challenging role as well. And it was going to be a four day week. So it was going to give me one day to work on this project, mail which at that point was just kind of starting to get off the ground. So I went for it, um, And at first it seemed great, but very quickly I came to realize it had been kind of missold to me. It was a very different job um, in reality to what was sold on paper. And I thought, wow, I don't know if I can actually stay here. Um, I kind of scoped out to see if it was actually going to be changing and it just didn't seem that it was. So when I had my um, like three month review come up, I kind of turned around to them and said, Look, if I'm really honest, it's very different to what I was expecting, and I think you're kind of overpaying me for what I'm doing, and I'm under challenge. So it's no good for either of us right now. So I'm going to go." And-
0: that takes that takes such balls. I mean, that is amazing to recognize that in a role and and truly i mean it makes you that much more valuable to the company too and just the essence of like looking out for the best interest for for obviously you first but also the the honesty that you had with that company i think that's very admirable
1: but well funny enough the um the creative director he turned around to me and he said it takes it takes balls to do this but I could only imagine someone like you doing this and it was probably the nicest thing he'd ever said I was like wow actually I really like you <laughs> but um yeah I just because I knew otherwise it would be like a one month notice and I think it's super easy when you're in salary jobs just to, st- to stay people say oh I'm just going to do six more months a year at my old agency, people used to say to me, I would be like, hey, what are you working on? And they're like, oh, uh, you know, I'm just hibernating at the moment because if you're in a salary job, you know, it pays the bills, you can tick over and, you know, carry on like that. But actually, you know, it's, it's such a waste and a shame. Like you should just be getting out there and doing things.
0: Totally agree. So you leave this job. And, you know, simultaneously, you're already kind of starting to foster and create what is does that mean male? What talk about that kind of progression? Did you leave and you're like, okay, I'm going to throw my time 100% into this? Or were you a bit, um, you know, kind of wandering? What happened?
1: Um, so I I guess I've always had side projects and Mean Mal has been one that's been kicking around for years actually but it wasn't called Mean Mal way back then and it was called something completely different. It was called Buy Chalk Love Cheese like Goodbye, chalk cheese, and it's because I had these two characters. One was, um, you know, like the whole phrase, like you're the chalk to my cheese, like we're opposites, so we kind of get on. So I almost had these two characters, but actually, it just wasn't working, and it was super confusing. So nearing my time of um, the end of my time at Mal, I was like, I need to make this happen. If it's the only thing I do, I have to make this happen because. It's what I get the most pleasure from when I'm working on it on the side. Um, So I just waited for the right tipping point, really. And ideally, I would have stayed at that other job until Mean Mail got too much. But instead, I just decided to go freelance and do Mean Mail at the same time.
0: So... And and today, are you still? I mean, is it is it still that way? Are you still freelance and and you're running mail or has this now taken over your time completely? Like, where where is the brand today, and how are, how are you kind of approaching your your day to day? So,
1: I would say it's still a fifty fifty split. Um, I've gone back and done um a freelance art direction project with mal which was amazing but that was super intense it was very very long hours so I meant kind of mean mal took the back seat and whenever i'm not freelancing i'm not actively searching lots of freelance work i'm just taking on projects when they feel right and how and that fit in with like my time at the moment because when i'm not freelancing i'm just spending all my time on mean Mal. so it's a lot of work
0: Awesome. And tell me, tell the audience really more
1: about Mail. Wow. Yeah. So Mail is, they're greetings cards. Um, and they're basically for those you love and love to hate. So they talk to you like how your friends do and not, you know, how greetings cards normally say, like the messages. So instead of happy birthday, it says it's always about you. Or if you've got a new home, it doesn't say like happy new home. It says, I think I prefer your old place. Um, I'm completely inspired by the way like we speak to each other rather than how Greetings Cards companies think we speak to each other. And I also think there are so many cards out there, so many beautiful cards out there that cheerleader you, but actually hardly any that kind of tell it like it is and almost show up a mirror to you.
0: And all of these cards are handmade, correct?
1: Yeah, they are. Actually, they're all handmade in the corner of my mom's living room on a reconditioned hot foil press.
0: This if if anything is the making of your future how they built this opener. I don't know if you listen to NPR's how I built this, but this is this is the little teaser that they're gonna cut into.
1: <laughs> I'll bring my mom on, she'll be like, what? <laughs> No, it was was super because the thing is there were so many card companies out there and I didn't want to just become another spreadsheet company um that's why like um the process of the making of the cards is really important to me like I've got a friend they work at a greetings card company I think they manufacture sheets of wrapping paper for something like 20p they sell it for 30p but then they sell it 40,000 units or something. And that's how they make their profit. And I didn't want to just kind of go into that process. I wanted to learn the craft, do it properly. And also it means I can be way more agile. So if I've got an idea for a card, it can be online within a matter of hours and in a customer's hands within like 48 hours. So I'd that's much rather doing it that way. Uh,
0: and, and you also won a Cosmopolitan Magazine Award for their self-made summit. What was... What was that kind of about and and what did it reward you with?
1: Back in April, Cosmopolitan magazine uh, organized an event in central London. It was a a, a one-day self-made summit and they basically got loads of speakers lined up and they did this thing called a pitch palace at the end of the day where you could go along, pitch your idea and it was to win an office space with second home. Um, and my friend, uh, Chimmy, who randomly I met through Instagram, her handle is the pink print. She was the one who told me about the whole day and I was like, wow, it was really good lineup. So we went along together and I went for the, the end of the day thing. It was with, um, Forestall, who's the editor of cosmopolitan magazine, Rohan, who runs second home and Anna from Albright, which is a, a female founders collective so it was really weird because it was a bit like x-factor but you go into the room um there's like a podium for you to stand by and you can almost do your pitch but I just kind of broke out of that and just gave them the cards and talked through what I was up to and yeah I um they called me a few months later to say I'd won which I was completely shocked and surprised that and totally thrilled um so i I've, I've just actually moved in to second home which is an office um, co-working space over in spitterfield it's just off brick lane and i'm there for six months so it's really really cool um the whole place is completely filled with plants there's no straight lines everything is curved on walls of glass so it's very calm and relaxing to work in
0: um, so before we dive into our five things segment, let's chat about this kind of seemingly throughline philosophy of IRL over online. Um, you recently said that the internet is always there, but I avoid it for inspiration as the serendipity is lost. Can you elaborate on this and kind of explain the value of analog? I find this to be truly fascinating because I am, I'm am a creature of like, digital inspiration but seemingly also analog inspiration and so i find that your your stance is like it it both is like resonates so true but also i would find so challenging
1: i mean i think the the internet is amazing but i I find it it's tricky as a place to find inspiration as everything is completely pre-curated for you curation is no longer like a vocation of art galleries and exhibits it's like the whole of the internet is an exhibit and everyone's a curator which is interesting because it means everyone's visual language is getting much stronger but it also it throws up issues of um, when people are sharing photos and posting stuff are they doing it because it's what they expect us to see and they know that we'll like it is it you know is avocado and toast posting photos like that is it a way of fitting in Um, I think the other thing is because all the algorithms and the cookies that follow us from site to site, they have got really clever at showing us what we think we'll like. I was having a conversation with a friend a few months back and he was saying he had a photo of a vase on his phone. And then later on, he started getting shown ads for that vase, even though he hadn't searched for it and he found it super unnerving. Um, So I think when we're shown things that we're already thinking of going to look for, it gets dangerous because then your circles of reference get smaller and smaller. And I mean, I think that's, when you look at like the Instagram discover page or Pinterest or Facebook, um, all those things, they're like going, Oh, Hey, I think you're like this. And you're like, Oh, hang on. I just want to see something completely different and completely the opposite side of what I'm looking at. I mean, maybe that's the next kind of search engines. Like you put in a search and then it shows you the complete opposite, but then that's what you're going for. You're going for that serendipity. Um, I think uh, Facebook is actually particularly dangerous, or it seems so, because when we had the EU referendum, um, when you look at it, it is an echo chamber. And it's weird because you you think, oh, you know, it's all going to be OK. I'm surrounded by all these people who follow this the same thing. But actually, it's only showing you your friends that align with your views. And that's a bit creepy.
0: There, there was a lot of conversation around that, especially with our election. Um, and I'm sure, you know, you can only imagine with the politics happening over here. But th- that was a that was a big point of, of conversation in the um, as- assumed, you know, joint voice and the joint vision that um, you have with a group of people. When in reality, you're just exactly as you said, you're just not seeing the other things because it's not feeding it to you because that's yeah. not what you like
1: completely. It's like a a very distorted reality. And it's like, you think you're fine, but it's absolutely completely not fine. And I think going back to your question earlier, you were saying, why um, why will the value of analog never be lost? I think it's because you can wow and flutter all you like with digital, but something that you can physically hold and caress with your fingers will always be more engaging because we're human. And I think until we're robots, you know, that is going to always win out. Yeah,
0: I totally love that. And now we're going to dive into your five things, which is really the meat of this podcast, the juicy bits that you can give us. Um, based on your experience and background, which is, you know, really uh, admirable and, and also quite exciting now that you're overseeing your own venture, um, we really want to know the five things that you feel every brand should consider in getting their brand noticed.
1: Okay, um... I think it's really important when you're setting out with your brand is, or even just if wherever you are on that journey is just working out what you stand for and what's like your unique selling proposition. Um, I think finding what your difference is and sticking to it is really important because there are so many brands that can do the same thing. And I think the internet actually leaves us open to, you know, easily duplicating and replicating the similar products or doing similar stuff when actually it's so much better to go out there and do do what you want to do but do it with a twist and do it with your unique stamp on it and I think these kind of things will end up going into your business plan and it becomes like your reference bible and you keep going back to it like if you're doing certain projects you almost have a tick box of qualities of hey um, making sure it's like almost like a reference guide so that everything you can measure it against it. Another thing um, I think that's really important for to get your brand noticed is spending money and time on your imagery. I think it's the best investment you can make. Even if you are, um, even if you can take good photos or you've got an iPhone, I mean there are some amazing camera friends out there. I still think uh, if you're not a professional, get someone else to do it uh, for like all your uh, PR shots. Obviously, everyday stuff's fine, but when you're doing your lookbooks, I think it's just spend as much time and effort as you can afford on those because they'll they'll end up doing the hard work for you crazily before actually i launched me mal i was thinking yeah i can just set this up in my living room and shoot it there um but then i started thinking you know what no i I want to make this project product look special. So I contacted a t- photographer called Catherine Losing, who I love the work of, and she got back to me straight away. She was super busy on loads of other projects, but she said, I know someone who'll be great. So I went and met that girl, and she was completely right. The rest is history. Um, we actually had like a super amazing weekend making those images as well because it was so much fun and it's super hard work, but it was all worth it. Uh, another thing I would say um, that I've actually learned from someone else asking this question myself is only do projects that elevate and not dilute your brand because when you're small hardly anyone knows who you are and I've been fortunate enough that loads of people have kind of got in contact and wanted to do collaborations and it's super flattering but also if I'd said yes to them all it would have tripled my workload and knocked me off my path really easily um it's often easier to say yes and it's dangerous because you end up just signing up to doing too much. And actually I got this advice from, I went to this talk with Sharmadine Reid, I went to the WW club, which I'm a member of. And I asked her, look, should I collaborate or not collaborate? And her answer was every collaboration she's done with has, um has been a financial one and it hasn't really done much to lift them as a brand. So really kind of think long and hard about who you want to collaborate with. So at the moment, I've kind of, I've got a target and then I'm waiting till I hit that target before I start those collaborations. But saying that, if you've got a list of like dream collaborators you want to work with and one of them approaches you, oh my God, go for it because it's super important. Just take that opportunity when it comes. I guess this is quite a cliche, but quality over quantity every time. Don't do anything second rate it's much better to say no to a project than say yes and it not to be as good as you want to be. Um, I got offered a really great opportunity recently to be part of a, a pop-up shop in the middle of London. And it would have been amazing because it was something I was looking into doing myself, but the timescale was really, really tight. And I just knew it would involve a lot of stress and it wouldn't have been to the standard I would have wanted, it, wanted to do it to. So, I mean, I think it it's kind of the same with the advertising strategy. Um, I'd advise don't fire off emails to influencers and journalists all the time. I'm For me, I'm focusing on like a handful and want to build a proper relationship with those people because you don't want it to be a flash in the pan. You want it so that it's a long-term relationship so that they you keep coming back to each other and it's mutually beneficial. Um, a final one, uh, and I've noticed this from my interactions with other brands, both positive and negative, is it's really important to respect your customers because they make or break your brand. And every single person who interacts with your brand, they're they're a potential influencer. I don't believe in influencers as these kind of this core knit of like, you you know, like a small niche. Everyone can be that by if they enjoy your product and they want to share it with, you know, their friends. Um, in that sense, I think the customer journey is super important from like the moment they encounter you on whatever site or news or like social platform that is to go into your website, to the payment process, to when the product alive, you make it fun and visually appealing um, because they'll end up being um, your biggest advocates. I remember one thing that I happened with when I ordered with Glossier. I know we're going to get it in the UK soon, which is super exciting. But last time I ordered it when I was over in New York, um, my order arrived and uh, one of the items was missing. And I just said, oh, hey, Um, it was actually just like the free tote bag. But they ended up sending me the item and sending me a store credit. And, you know, they completely won me over with that. I was completely smitten. So I think it's really important to treat your customers well.
0: Yeah. And I think that 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 is probably, you know, one of the harder things for people to do at times, um, which is, it seems very silly. I think literally, you know, the the last three points that you made, um, you know, talking about really focusing on what elevates a brand and doesn't dilute it, quality over quantity and respecting your customers actually all go very much hand in hand. And, you know, to your point, even, you know, from our side, Of things, which is, you know, really kind of your side of things as well. When you're looking and and talking to these different brands, they tend to often have the same goal of um vanity metrics, right? Like we want X amount of followers, we need X amount of emails, we need, you know, to reach X amount of people per month. We need ads to feed to this many people. And those things are important. And yes, they should be a focus. But there isn't enough conversation around the KPI of understanding that your audience is feeling really valued. And there isn't an obvious ROI on that in the most literal kind of like drop this in an Excel spreadsheet way. But it is, um, I think, something that is thankfully becoming a bigger conversation in the marketing world um, in the sense of really having, you know, brands and and companies understand that importance now that we've been in this like, rat race of building followers. And now there's fatigue that I think people are like, okay, uh, let's call this back to really being about like, what really, really matters. And so I couldn't agree with you more on really all your five things. But I think those things are are very true. And, um, you know, ring, ring really right, you know, and I think it's even even from my side of the table, it's inspiring to like, think about that, you know, really focusing on what you do and don't do and and what does dilute a brand and what doesn't. Cause it's really easy to latch on to like as much audience as you can acquire, the more things you do, the more likely you're going to get seen or the more, you know, hungry you are to just kind of get involved in a bunch of stuff. It's going to be for your benefit. But like you said, if it ends up pulling time away from the things that are most important for you to focus on or, yeah. won't be executed to the caliber like you you're going to misrepresent what
1: you're doing so no completely because also you You almost feel bad if you're turning down people and saying oh I can't work with you on this at the moment but actually again it kind of relates back to my career because when I left that place I always kept the door open and I've said to them I'll come back and freelance with you you know let's keep this conversation going and actually one of the girls who I was speaking to I said, look, I can't collaborate right now, but let's just keep talking. We end up just advising each other on various projects and it's been really great. So it's definitely, you know, don't burn any bridges like that. And what can happen in the future when you're actually ready and able to.
0: Yeah, there's more power in saying no than saying yes. It's harder to say no, but there is a lot more power and value in that. So what's next for you? What's happening with the company
1: and, and what is it? What are the next few months or even, you know, year look like? Well, um, me, miles actually just started being stocked in Liberty in London, which is probably one of my dream stockists. So I'm super excited about that. Um, it went like I sent it off to them last Wednesday and it arrived on Saturday and I haven't seen it yet. So I need to pop in and see them. Um, I've got a project in the works for London fashion week, which is quite exciting, but That's all I can say on that at the moment. And then I've got a massive project um, launching hopefully next March. But again, it's all in process. Um, I've just started doing international shipping. So wherever you are in the world, you can buy Mean Mail. And I'm about to launch some new products. So that will be coming soon.
0: I have quite... A few exciting things ahead. That is so incredible.
1: Yeah, I'm about um, like, mm, too much, maybe, but yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I don't think that. I think that that's all quality, and they're and they're ticking different boxes in different buckets, right? You have your retail, you have your event, you have your consumer or customer base. Like, I think it's a, I think it's just right. Um, well, I really, really appreciate your time, and we have to kind of wrap this up with one final closing question. If you can go to dinner with any three people, who do you choose? And where do you go?
1: Hmm, good question. You know, I've thought about this before. And it's super hard to pick like a set of weird people. And also because they'll be strangers to you, it's going to be a little bit awkward, it's not gonna, the conversation is going to be a bit strange. So actually, I'm going to say three of my closest friends. But um, which because Like spending time together in the moment is such a rarity. So it would be Amy, Michelle, and Danielle, and we would go to Sketch in London because the service and the food there is absolutely amazing. Eye candy. That's yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Amazing. So um, I would love for you to plug uh, your social channels and your website for our listeners so that they can check out everything that you're up to and buy their very own mean mail
1: cool so you can buy mean mail at meanmail.co and i'm on instagram as at mean mail which is m-e-a-n-m-a-i-l and i'm vicky simmons on instagram as well
0: Thank you, Vicki, so much for your time. For all of our listeners, be sure to check out the latest issue of the Shapeshift Report at shapeshiftreport.co and follow us along at Shapeshift Report across all social channels.